Welcome to the Musical Movie Marathon. I'm David, I'm here with my father Andrew, and we have just finished watching The Wonderful World of Disney Presents, The Little Mermaid Live. Uh, it's an amazing production, and it is both a live-action production in front of an audience and a screening of The Little Mermaid animated musical from 1989. We will go into depth about the relationship between the two mediums, as well as into depth in The Little Mermaid's story and songs and characters itself and themes. And if you're excited for the upcoming live action uh, remake of the movie, then uh, we talk about what we would do to make that a successful movie musical as well. All of that and more coming up on the Musical Movie Marathon. Wow. Well, that was cool. <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah. Tonight I was feeling really tired. I didn't want to I didn't feel like watching a musical or anything uh, and talking about it afterwards. I didn't I felt like that. I didn't have it in me. But then I saw one of the options on Disney Plus, which I uh, purchased to watch Hamilton. Had on it <laughs> The Little Mermaid Live, which well actually was half live and half um, the original movie from the 80s, I think. And so it was fantastic. We don't have um, the original movie in our collection, um, even off of Disney+. Plus. And so what was, it was wonderful to see the original again. I, I can't actually remember when I saw it, if I ever have seen it. Um, and, uh, and also to see some of these wonderful live performances. What do you think, Dad? Oh, it's great. It was a really good combination. Obviously, the, the live performances with the songs... The dialogue was done in the uh, in the original movie excerpts, um, and it, the the transitions were really smooth um, to going from uh, what's projected on the screen to what's live. Um, but I'll let you talk about some of the ways they did that. No, I don't know. I mean, because I found it less smooth to me. It was like watching <laughs> two stories because yeah. I I had to relate to two sets of characters, right. <laughs> and so it was actually harder to tell the story. And and uh, a lot of people would say that musical numbers kind of stop a show uh, or stop the story continuing on, and you just pause in that moment. Um, and I don't think that that's supposed to be true, but it was definitely true here. It was intentional here. You know, they stop the movie so that you can watch a stage perform uh, uh, a stage like a concert. Mm. Um, and I think there's a place for that. But what's the difference? Do you think between a concert like that, which is, in my opinion, those um, performances live? were more like a concert than a musical. Do you agree or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely like a concert. And I think um, uh, that was a deliberate choice uh, mm-hmm. because the people that were performing the musical numbers were primarily singers, which was really great. Yeah. Uh, I think myself, I would have liked to have seen the whole thing live rather mm-hmm. than uh, the combination. But to me, the combination still works. So they, they had to manage those transitions really carefully and... As you say, sometimes it didn't work, but um, because it was it was made for television, yeah. um, so not necessarily made for the live audience. Sometimes, sometimes they used ad breaks as yeah. a way to transition <laughs> from one song into the back of the movie. Yeah, they used a technique, that obviously, that they use in, in movies to um, keep the audience focused between scenes, and that is they'll have the uh, the audience they'll have something visual for the audience to focus on mm. while the background changes from one scene to another. Yeah. That was great, yeah. No, I uh, I appreciated those. I appreciated all of the special effects and the 
into in the live action set pieces or amazing costumes, especially the puppets. I love the puppets. It felt so Muppets. Uh, anything about the staging in particular that you love? Um, well, I, I was a little confused at first and then I realised that the audience were actually part of the show. <laughs> so right at the beginning, they're waving ribbons to you know indicate waves and that was really effective. And then later on, they're wearing, you know, claws and clippers and nippers <laughs> during the Under the Sea, or no, sorry, during the um, Les Poissons um, song. Mm. So, yeah, obviously. But there was lots of cheering and, and clapping and things, yeah. so that it was a little bit of a mixture of both. Yeah, I found it interesting what they cheered for, and I noticed this on um, another podcast. They talked about one of their viewing experiences with a foreign audience when they were watching The Phantom of the Opera, and uh, there was small applause for the end of uh, show tunes, but there was huge applause for set pieces. And that's that's apparently, uh, to to these podcasters, that's unusual, whereas that is very um, common in in this show, uh, this production, it was really about the spectacle. That's why it was live. The, the, what do you think having live singers added to the experience of, of watching this movie? Well, yeah, you've you got to be clever, uh, careful because um, on the movie, of course, you've got these hugely magnified voices. Um, but on, on a live performance, you don't have that, uh, that same degree of um, I don't know, overwhelmed uh, sound. Um, what the the wonderful thing, of course, about a live show is you've got um, a live orchestra, mm. and so they were fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and getting big names like Queen Latifah to sing the the big numbers was mm. was just wonderful. Mm. So yeah, no, I I like the the singing. Uh, for me, the you know, so like I've I've performed in Beauty and the Beast, and um, wearing awkward costumes um, is not fun. Um, so I was really interested to see how uh, the performers, um, you know, were wearing their costumes and, and how that worked for them. Unfortunately, mm. um, the costumes are really well designed. There's a particular scene um, in Le Poisson where um, someone playing Sebastian the Crab actually um, does sort of forward roles and gets passed from, from chef to chef, or cook to cook really, um, ac- across the stage. Uh, and that, that was done really well. Mm. Um, and I was really pleased to see that the the performers s- seemed to appear very comfortable in their cosies and seemed to do really well. But for me, the uh, the jellyfish suspended for oh. most of the show yeah. <laughs> from wow. the ceiling um, had you know performers underneath them being part of the tentacles of the jellyfish and and those poor souls. They <laughs> <laughs> but they looked beautiful. They, mm. they did their job really well, and they definitely were well. Yes, they dressed the set, but you know they. They also added interest as well. It was good. Mm. They were uh, seriously awesome performers, and I think that there's a level in which um, live human bodies, if I'm allowed to phrase it that way, live human bodies uh, dress the set incredibly well, Um, and it's because you've got this transformative aspect, I think, which is one of the reasons why I think Cats on Stage works, um, is because you are transported into this world through... Um, dare I say, human bodies, right? One of the really cool things with, uh, that Disney did was they extended the stage into the audience. Mm-hmm. So like you would in a fashion show, you've got the catwalk. Mm-hmm. They, of course, um, had a curved catwalk mm-hmm. and um, a smaller s- stage area where you could um, have half a dozen um, performers at the end of that. 
So in, in amongst, and of course the audience was sort of around that. What that meant was that they, it made the show more three-dimensional. So instead of you looking at a flat prosemi march and, and you know, the depth of the, yeah. the uh, performance is from there backwards, or the, well, the, yeah, from a performance point of view, um, instead the performers were coming right out to the audience a lot. So these jellyfish hanging over the audience, um, yeah, Ariel swims out above yep. the audience and, wow. and so on. So that that really made it immersive mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it contrasted with the flat movie. Yep. Here we got this 3D right in our faces. That's amazing. You might even call it submersive. <laughs> um, but um, what do you think about the narrative itself? So we've talked about the craft. Um, I think that it was odd um, to watch a movie with so many songs in it and maybe they cut pieces out of the movie to make yeah, it, it to make the total thing shorter yeah, and uh, that d- I could tell and I was it was not an immersive movie experience for me mm. yeah uh, you got to be careful when you're trying to mix um, obviously a, a movie but the Again, the point of the wow, the point, um, the reason <laughs> for the musical, um, this particular performance was they were celebrating the 30 year anniversary mm. of the movie. So it would make sense to have the movie that they're honoring mm. as part of the performance. Mm. Would you like to talk about the songs, the added songs that are clearly in the show? There is a staged version of this show, mm. which we've seen the, the children's version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've added songs for the staged version. Would you add songs to... Would you keep those added songs in the the live-action remake? Mm. We've sort of touched on this before, and I think it was Newsies or one of the others that we were talking about, um, that uh, the the film is is quite a different medium from the stage. And so there are things that you obviously can't do well, things that can be done in animation and um, illustration, of course, can uh, be really imaginative, um, which, of course, live action is limited. Um, so, so that's what animation can do. And of course, in live action, we have expectations. We have we expect a few more songs. We expect spectacle, yeah. um, and so on. The the opening number of you've got to open with a chorus number. In a show, it's sort of the unwritten one of the un- many unwritten rules. This this song that they start off with is is great. It fits at um, the story. It sets out some exposition, which is really great. Uh, introduces some characters, which is really good. So, in terms of um, um, adding to or contributing to the story, I think the opening number um, does that um, quite well. Um, but I would be really uh, surprised to see that happen in a movie. Mm. I think, hang on, what, what's all this about? Are we watching, what are we watching here? You know, I, I get confused about the genre. So, um, so yes, I think answering your questions, did, did the stage show have too many songs? I don't think so because I like them. Would you keep any of those um, um, songs that were added to the stage interpretation of the movie in the live-action remake? For example, they did not add... The song uh, "Me," you know the song that Gaston sings in the stage show. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that in the movie, if I'm remembering correctly, oh, okay. Gaston did not sing that. Too. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. So, like that, would you 
uh, add to the live action movie any of the added songs in the musical. Yeah, yeah, I would. You know, and of course, again, we've, we've mentioned this a little bit before. Um, a live action stage show is different from a live action movie. Yeah. Um, especially a live action movie of an animated story. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, what we're going on here? <laughs> Talk about mixing the genres. Um, yes, I, w- I would definitely have that Sailor song in it um, mm-hmm. to start off with. Um, and some of the other songs I thought were quite appropriate. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that, w- that would be fine. Um, again, because we're expecting a musical. That's interesting. We still haven't figured out exactly how to put a um, musical on screen in a way that makes sense for both genres. There, if, if we are in the musical theatre mode when we're watching a movie of The Little Mermaid, for example, I think that that works really well. What I missed out on in this is something that the element of film brings to a, a, a musical, especially an animated musical, but increasingly live action as well because of CGI and stuff, is some of the fantastical things that you can't do in real life. For example, all of Sebastian's friends performing in the in the band in the song Under the Sea. I thought that was um, that's one of those moments that in an animated movie is just a highlight because it's so colourful. And on stage, it is colourful. It is fantastic in the uh, choreography and the stage, but it's not as awe-inspiring mm. because it's not as impossible mm. as when you're watching a, a movie, uh, an animated, uh, a bit like how the genie in real life is never as amazing as animated Robin Williams. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but switching gears a little bit into the plot, mm-hmm. um, I much preferred the character development of Eric mm-hmm. in the live-action one that we saw, ah, yeah. um, which is which they didn't add to this movie. Oh, yes. um, and even Eric's song that he sang before he met Ariel about how he wants to find that... The girl. Mm. Uh, it was so... He he never had his thoughts corrected because his thinking about marriage, about finding the one is, you know, naive. <laughs> and he never had that naivety uh, corrected in the show where he did in the in the stage show. Right, yeah. And, of course, um, in terms of the, the, the plot, because he was after the voice. Mm. The voice was what he remembered and yeah. what had um, mesmerised him. And, of course, that's the one thing that she didn't have. I'm not sure if that was in the animated movie. I'm pretty sure it was not. Yeah, yeah. You know, how many songs do we put in an animated movie? You know, tricky, tricky. So I thought it was interesting. A lot of the plot points uh, felt a little inconsequential. I don't know if you picked up on that, but like, um, or it just happened really quickly. Like the third act happened super quickly in terms of Eric ramming her with the boat and, and that that climax felt a little strange, like here's this super powerful sea witch and she just gets rammed by a boat, you know? Mm. And she could have used her tentacles to grab hold of those two instead of just bringing it down like a big tree to kaplonk on the water. There's, there's certainly massive improvements that a, um, a remake of this uh, uh, could could have. Um, changes, answering your question, uh, what changes would I make? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd give more backstory. I'd, I'd like to see a bit more uh, a torture, you know. Uh, well, torture, that's a horrible thing to say. Um, 
<laughs> I would like Ariel. I'd like us to see Ariel's inner turmoil okay. instead of torture. Um, you know, and hear, you know, hear what she thinks in song about you know her predicament and, and so on. Okay, um, I would add the changes that the musical made to the third act, and I wonder uh, in what way. What could happen in the third act to give these characters a um, a, a hopeful or, or, or a resolved arc? If we if we make it simpler, who would kill Ursula? Oh well, I think for me the answer is obvious that it would be Ursula. Ursula kills Ursula. Yeah. So the idea that she's got this ultimate power and she doesn't and it's too much for her and she can't wield it. Oh. And she's overwhelmed by it. Right. And your question, well, your comment before about why didn't Ursula just grab them and crush them to death with one of her tentacles was because she was drunk on her power and she's just slapping them and playing with them like a cat plays with a mouse. How can we make that drunkenness on on power or how can we make Ursula's goal um, mean something in, like be the antithesis of the good, um, the good value in, in in the story? So... Whether it's it's love versus control or like freedom versus control, or, or I'm not sure. What what do you think? Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, there's lots of themes. As I said, there's friendship. There's the parental, you know, daughter relationship. Um, there's the, the whole thing about um, what you mentioned, love at first sight. I would I would like to see Ariel find a mission on land. So, I mean, Ariel's arc is she's got a quest and she fulfills the quest. Yay, cool. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a little more um, of her vision as a queen, that it's not just the man. Mm. But, again, I'm not the target audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, that, that's interesting. There's a lot that you could add to it, but I think you're right in saying, and I think maybe this is true of movies like Titanic, which I have not seen, but... Um, I read a, a screenwriting book which says that Titanic is a bad movie screenwritingly because it doesn't have this, you know, this journey that we're supposed to go on with these characters of, of, of the character has a flaw that he has to overcome. Um, and, and that's not the only valid way to make a, a compelling, engaging, satisfying Hollywood story. Um, and so whether or not his comments about Titanic is true, I think one thing that is true about both Titanic and this version of The Little Mermaid is that it has, it's romantic, you know? The story itself is romantic. So the, and tragic in a way. And so because it has these just events that happen in people's lives and particularly the desires of these people we engage with that, even though the characters might not have much in a turmoil or have desires are, are flat. You know, I've been mulling about that question that you've been, you know, going right through this podcast, which is um, how would you make a movie of this and what would you do differently? And um, you mentioned how uh, Ariel doesn't have much of an arc. I think that that's the big thing that I would include in, into a movie um, version of this is to give, for, again, to give the audience enough to see how she's because she's got at least three barriers to getting her fulfilling her quest she um, has got to persuade her father to let her do it and that fails um, and she turns to the sea witch to help 
Um, she's got to get legs somehow. Uh. <laughs> That's a fairly <laughs> difficult barrier for her to imagine crossing. Um, and of course, then she's got to get the man to fall in love with her. The movie, current movie, doesn't really explore those things. And and if we had um, an aria from her where she was, um, you know, venting her frustration, where she was, you know, dipping her toe in despair or, or you know, trying to find some determination to uh, um, face these barriers and find some resource, um, yeah, I think that would be suitable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. Because I, I don't know, maybe I'm imagining this in a movie style like Forrest Gump, which is the alternative to having an arc, is this character who does not change, this character who changes everyone around him. And, and that's... and. The changes in everybody else have to be the main point of the story in order for that story to work. Superman movies should be like this because Superman is practically perfect. Um, Mary Poppins movies are a little bit like this. You know, she doesn't really have a character arc. She is a change agent. Yeah, a change agent. And so if Ariel becomes a change agent in other characters' lives and what... Or how she changes them is kind of the main message of the story, which is one way to do it. And in this version of that, it seems that she, um, the main uh, message in that sense, how she is, is just by being herself, just by following her dreams, but also by being um, feminine and, and, to, and cute and, and pathetic and, and, you know, getting sympathy from Triton, getting. The love of Eric, um, uh, and so the yeah, it's 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 you'd have to make that socially correct and compelling in order for th- to to be a convincing remake. I yeah, think. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that works for me. Um, yeah, it is unfortunate that she is. I, w- I mean, I wouldn't describe her as pathetic, but she is definitely passive um, in that third act uh, on the current movie. Um, uh, yeah, I think some of the qualities that uh, a movie could um, help portray in the character of Ariel that would um, persuade, if you like, the other characters around her to change sh- should be things like her determination, mm. um, her loyalty, um, obviously her strength of character, um, like loyalty to friends, things like that. Um, her her overwhelming dominant, you know, um, affection or love really for um, this uh, this man, Eric. Um, I I think those are the things that should uh, come out in a movie version of this and um, really those would be the things that would convince the people around her to, or the characters around her, um, to support her quest. Yeah, yeah, okay, I like that. And it's 10 o'clock, and we're saying goodnight to this movie, goodnight to this theme. Um, do you have any other comment about the musicalness or the or just anything in general? Okay, so loved it. If you get a chance to see it, do see it. it um, despite all our criticism, <laughs> the production is a really good one. It's, it is spectacular. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, don't, don't expect it to be like the movie because it, it sort of is and sort of isn't. And and I just want to put a disclaimer here. 
Um, two older guys talking about a young girl's movie. I mean, there's go- <laughs> we're going to miss the boat on some things. <laughs> so thanks for your patience. It is amazing. And I could tell that um, the people who it was targeted for would absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is fantastic. Queen Latifah is amazing in her role. Um, she does a great job of imitating the character of the movie. Um, the other performers are excellent as well. The dancing, again, fantastic. The, um, the, the, you know, all of it to, to put together is just a celebration. And I think that's what it was. That's what I think concerts are, a celebration of the, the music and the story that we love and the characters. Um, well done, Disney. Well done, Disney. And so that's us tonight. Thanks, guys. All the best. Okay, that that's us for tonight. Good night.